You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Politics, perhaps uh, more than any other sphere, is where God's people demonstrate their lack of functional faith in God's sovereignty. It's a really big big statement, so I'll say it again. Politics, perhaps more than any other sphere, is where God's people demonstrate their lack of functional faith in God's sovereignty. So as Christians, uh, we believe that the world belongs to God, uh, that everything is his, that he made it, that he rules and reigns over it all, as John just taught us from Psalm 47. But in our political perspectives, in the way we engage politically, we're often prone to show our real cards, our real cards, that, that, that we value politics, that we value political power so much that they've become idols to us. They've become functional saviors. They've become the object of our hope. And this is why politics is an arena where we're prone to abandon things that are supposed to characterize our lives as Jesus' disciples. Uh, It's an arena where we are prone to make excuses and to make exceptions both for ourselves and for others. Or, or, having become jaded and cynical by past attempts to support a political party or a political candidate or a political platform, we're also prone to demonstrate a completely different kind of lack of functional faith. And that is that that underneath the sovereignty of God, we are given real genuine responsibility to care about and serve and influence the places that God has put us. If God has really determined our time and our boundaries, as it says in Acts chapter 17, it means that we have real responsibility as citizens in the nations and the states and the cities where we live. So as we wrap up our Faithful Presence series these next two weeks, uh, we're going to talk about politics uh, and specifically, here's, here's what we'll aim to do. Today, we'll just seek to gain a big picture understanding of how politics fits into the reign of God. What is the proper place of politics? And then next week, uh, we'll try to actually lay down some boundaries. We'll aim to point out problems with both conservatism and liberalism, and then consider what it looks like for us to demonstrate our primary allegiance to Jesus uh, however we vote and whomever ends up in office. So the politics, politics in church, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? A lot, right? This is a risk. This is a risk. But here's what I would implore you to consider this morning. We must be formed as followers of Jesus. We must be conformed to the image of Christ. How we engage in the public sphere, how we engage politically is part of discipleship. And if we can't ask God to expose the lies and the errors and the idols of our lives in the realm of politics, then the only option left for us is going to be to compartmentalize our political engagement, for us to become functionally deists or atheists when we engage in public, when we are in the voting booth. So a few texts for us today. Uh, Psalm 96 is the main one and the first one that we'll be in. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the 96th Psalm beginning in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. 
For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty, uh, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Blessed Lord, who caused all of Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we would now hear them, learn and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, two things uh, for us to consider with our time this morning. The proper place of politics and the purpose of our lives. Proper place of politics and the purpose of our lives. So first, the proper place of politics. Psalm 96 is one of a handful of hymns of praise for God's kingship. Uh, and there are, there are several of these psalms. Psalm 47, which John read from earlier, is another one. It celebrates that God reigns in glory over all the earth. So as we read here, there are nations, verse 3. There are peoples, verses 3 and 5. There are families of peoples, which are smaller subgroups, or what we might call tribes, verse 7. But among those nations, over those peoples and tribes, the Lord reigns. So right from the start, let's see this. Life in this world is an experience of dual citizenship. Life in this world is an experience of dual citizenship. Everyone who has ever set foot on the earth has been simultaneously part of a family, a, a people, a nation, and subject to the ultimate reign of God. We have different obligations to each. There are important distinctions between God's reign and any kind of human rule or human power. But these two things are inseparable. And already that's, that's kind of a controversial statement, is it not? Many, many would argue that these two things should be kept completely separate. But the only way to completely separate the reign of God and the rule of humanity is to reduce God to a place that's inconsistent with who he is and who he's revealed himself to be, even in places like Psalm 96. See, God is not just the object of private devotion. He's not just a God of personal faith. He is, of course, personal and, and meant to be, uh, meant, we're meant to devote our lives to him individually. But he's the one who made the heavens. He's the king of the nations. He's the one who will judge the world in righteousness and in faithfulness. So God reigns and people rule. And the two of those, th those two things will 
intersect and overlap and collide in different ways, but they will never be divorced from each other. So if it's helpful for you, picture a, a Venn diagram. A Venn diagram. If you've been out of school for a while, it may be a long time since you've seen a Venn diagram, but two overlapping circles. And sometimes we can perceive a lot of overlap between the reign of God and the rule of humans. Other times we can perceive very little of that overlap, but they're, they are never separate. They're never separate. As God's people then who are pursuing faithful presence in the world, anytime you and I start to talk about politics, anytime we take this risk to open up the, the topic of politics, we have to start here. Because politics is commonly uh, viewed only as a, as a matter of human rule. It's commonly only thought about as how people govern cities and states and nations. But God's reign is, is not this overly spiritualized and ethereal and disembodied thing. God is actually exercising his sovereign and perfect rule through the very imperfect rule of human beings like you and me in every time and in every place. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, we read this. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So no king, no president, no parliament has ever ended up in power by accident. God has never woken up on the first Wednesday of November in a voting year, in an election year, and said, oops, or been surprised by what happened. And once we establish this as our baseline, that helps us then begin to build a framework which keeps politics in its proper place. It keeps it in its proper place to where we neither overvalue it to the point where it becomes the object of our hope, nor undervalue it to the place where it becomes unworthy of our engagement, unworthy of our involvement. So let's just briefly look at a few ways that the reign of God is different from the rule of humanity. And this is not an exhaustive list, but, but my hope is it will help us to begin to build this framework around which we can keep uh, politics in their proper place. We'll talk about authority and scope and primacy. So authority, authority. God reigns with ultimate authority. Everybody else derived authority. Derived authority. Here's an here's a incredibly unpopular idea in this cultural moment. Human beings are designed to submit to authority. Like, try to write a book with a title like Designed for Submission and see how well, see how well that goes for you. But it's true. Here's the hugely important qualifier. God alone has inherent authority. God alone has authority in and of himself. All other authority is derived from God. And we've seen throughout this series, we especially saw last week as Pastor John preached about art and creating, that people are given authority, people are given dominion over everything that God made. This is a derived authority. This is a gift and a privilege that's been granted by God to those who bear his image. Beyond that, there, there are specific roles of derived authority that have been prescribed by God. So elders in a local church are called to be servant leaders of the people of that church. Men, if you're a husband or a father, you're called to be a sacrificial servant leader to your wife and to your children. And, as Pastor John pointed out to our kids, governments are meant to rule over citizens. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, we could spend weeks just on those two verses alone and what exactly that looks like and when there might be moments for civil disobedience and and when not. Here's what I just want you to see for today. Wherever authority is granted and prescribed by God, in any of those roles where God says, this is authority that I've given to something or someone else, it's always, always, always designed for the good, for the flourishing of the people under that authority. It's always designed for the flourishing of the people underneath it. However, whether or not that flourishing is evident, it remains true that God has granted authority to people in those roles. And there's a tension in that. But Paul here is writing Romans 13 in reference to who? In reference to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. Let that be a perspective check for you and I this morning. If we think a political party in the United States is hostile to the Christian faith, to people of God, the Roman Empire was a lot worse. It was a lot worse. Paul is actually going to be killed at the hands of some of those governing authorities just a few years after he writes these words. And yet he writes, because it's true, be subject to governing authorities because they only have their authority because God gave it to them. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Peter goes on to say, fear God and honor the emperor. And it's crazy to me to back up and think, one of those emperors put him to death a couple years after he wrote it. But Paul and Peter learned that from Jesus himself. When Jesus was on trial in Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he tells Pontius Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So Pilate, Roman emperors, American presidents, all of them have authority only because God has given them that authority. And because God is the one who reigns with ultimate authority, and because people only ever rule with derived authority, it means that honoring God and honoring government are not mutually exclusive. We're meant to find a way to do both at the same time. That's authority. Let's talk about scope. God's reign is comprehensive in scope. People's rule is limited. It's limited in time. God's reign is permanent and eternal. Uh, Any human rule is temporary. And as Americans, we know that maybe better than most. Our our presidents have a four-year term and at most another four-year term after that. Even someone though like Louis XIV of France who reigned for 72 years 72 years he was in power in France. That's still only a tiny blip on the radar of history. He is here today and he is gone tomorrow. In contrast, as we sang together this morning, he will reign forever. God will reign forever and ever. Human rule is also limited in geography. It's constrained to a particular geographic area. Alexander the Great Uh, whose territories consisted of nearly 2 million square miles by the time of his death. He still ruled only a limited area of the earth. God, however, we read here in the psalm, made the heavens. God is the one who rules the whole universe. Abraham Kuyper, who's a Dutch theologian and also happened to be a politician and even the prime minister of the Netherlands for a period of time, uh, he once famously wrote, there is not a square inch 
in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. Human rule is also limited in constituency, uh, the people under its jurisdiction. As we read in Psalm 96, God is the, the king of all. He's the king of all the nations. No one, whether they acknowledge God's reign or not, can live outside of his dominion. People, on the other hand, are always dealing with some small subset of that. So think about this. Even President Xi of China, who, who in this day, today, is in charge of, rules over one out, almost one out of every seven people alive on the face of the earth. Even President Xi doesn't rule over the other six out of seven. Like all human rulers, he is limited. He's limited. And all of these might be rather obvious distinctions. Why are they important? Why are they important? Because if the rule of people is limited in scope, it's always going to elevate a particular group of people above the rest. It's always going to take uh, the interests of a particular subset of people, whoever they are and wherever they are, and, and elevate it above the other subsets. Political power in our world is hardwired to fuel division and ethnocentrism and racism and classism and a slew of other isms that divide and fragment people. That's the best that human political power can do. And it might be a sad realization for us, but, but if we're honest, we kind of want it that way. We kind of want it that way because we're selfish. And the vast majority of our decisions, whether political or otherwise, are motivated by our primary love for self. And maybe different expanding rings of self. So self might mean just me personally as an individual. It might mean only what's good for me and my own family or me and my neighborhood or my city or my state. Maybe it's what's best for, for my socioeconomic class or my race or what's best for my nation. And it is right for us to feel responsibility for the spheres where God has put us, where God intends for us to act and to serve as a blessing. But it's wrong to think, and we're on dangerous ground, whenever we start to kid ourselves to think that because we're in those spheres that God doesn't love them, that, God, that we actually love them more than God does. That we actually care about those people or those places more than God does. And therefore, it's now on us to fight at all costs to elevate our interests above the interest of others because we're the only ones that will. So the huge distinction that we need to make between God's reign and the rule of people is that our limited scope will always limit our perspective. And here's the thing. A limited perspective is always a skewed perspective. A limited perspective is always a skewed perspective. And so to whatever degree we can, we should influence our spheres so that the, those circles of the Venn diagram overlap. But recognizing our limited and therefore skewed perspective, we should always proceed with humility and we should keep politics in their proper place. Authority, scope, the last one I'll mention is primacy. Uh, and by that I mean this, that God reigns both through and in spite of people. And it's always both of those things. No government has ever been a one-for-one -one representation of the reign of God. Even the, the very unique nation-state of ancient Israel, they were unfaithful over and over again. They did much to dishonor God. They did not perfectly represent God in the world. And if you've been reading through the Bible in a year and that plan with us, you've seen many examples over and over again of that. 
At the same time, though, no government has ever been devoid of the reign of God, superintending over the whole process. The Lord reigns over all the earth. Human rule is always subservient to the reign of God. God's reign always has primacy. Now, one of the great mysteries of our faith that the the Bible simultaneously affirms that we are responsible for our actions, that what we do in this life and in this world matters, but also at the very same time, God is in complete control of all things, that nothing happens outside of his will. So think about Jesus and Pilate and the interplay of those two things. Pilate was an actual governor making actual decisions on how to rule the people of Judea. And his decisions made a real tangible impact in human history. We as Christians of all people should be able to see that. Pilate, by his God-given authority, used that authority to put Jesus to death. That's a, that's a historical fact. And so we should, we should always take governments and politics seriously. They have real consequences, both in the present and in the future. And yet, God was reigning through and in spite of Pilate and the decisions he was making. In the Apostle Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Peter says that all that happened to Jesus, including Pilate using his authority to put Jesus to death, all of that happened, quote, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So when, so when a Roman emperor named Tiberius appointed this guy named Pilate to be governor of Judea, God didn't say, oh no, oh shoot, that's the wrong guy. That's the wrong guy. I got to get somebody else down there. God is on his throne regardless of who is on the thrones of this world, regardless of who is in the Oval Office, regardless of who is in the governor's mansion. Whoever you feel compelled to vote for this November, the role of God's people, it's sometimes said this way, I think it's a horrible misunderstanding, the role of God's people is never to invite God back into America. Why not? Because God never left. Because God never left. He's never ceased to be the Lord of all. It doesn't matter how little of the Venn diagram circles seem to overlap in any moment. Our circumstances can only ever play out in the same realm where God has ultimate authority and comprehensive scope and absolute primacy over all things. You don't have to bring God back into America. He never left, even if you can't perceive all that you might want to perceive of his rule right now. And that brings us to our second and much shorter point this morning, the purpose of our lives. The purpose of our lives. The purpose, friends, of your life is not to elect the right person. It's not to back the right political party or the political platform. I think most of you know that. I think most of you know that. But I also know that this has probably already happened and it no doubt will in the coming weeks. You're going to be baited. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be incited to think and speak and live in ways which betray your confidence in God's sovereignty. You're going to be baited and incited to put too much hope and faith in a candidate or in a party or in a platform or in a cause rather than putting all of your hope in God and in his reign. Real flourishing comes not by political power ultimately, but by God's reign. Look again at verses 12 and 13. Then... Shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord? Why? For he comes 
for he comes to judge the world in to comes to judge the earth he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness so regardless of how much flourishing you experience we experience in any given moment regardless of how well or not well human rulers are using their god-given authority the purpose of our lives is to unequivocally proclaim with the psalmist the splendor and majesty and strength and beauty of God. It is to, as the Apostle Peter says, honor the emperor, but fear God. Fear God. He has our primary allegiance. He alone is the one to whom we ascribe glory. He is the one who we, alone who we worship. The world is established, verse 10. It shall never be moved and he will judge the peoples with equity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the fate of this world, the flourishing of the world, is not resting upon your shoulders in what happens this November? Do you really believe that? If so, then with the psalmist, sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation. Declare his glory. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Glance at your circumstances, but gaze upon eternity. Glance at the current political realities, but gaze upon the reign of God. Not one moment of our lives passes outside the realm of his reign. And his reign, praise God, is good. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will judge the peoples in his faithfulness. And whatever confidence the psalmist had, about this, we have more. We have more. This psalm is quoted almost entirely in 1 Chronicles 16 when King David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And all the nations surrounding Jerusalem are invited to come and to worship the one true God. The Ark was this tangible picture that God reigned, that he would keep his promises, that, he, that the world has been established under his reign and that the world shall never be moved. How much more confident are we of that through the finished work of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, who is the yes and amen to all of the promises of God. And as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Here's the key part. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's the resurrection and the ascension and the session, the reigning of God that is our confidence even more than the psalmist. Eugene Peterson once wrote, Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ. Rescue me from the person who is wise in the ways of the world, but ignores the movement of the Spirit. So let us never omit Christ when the purpose of our lives is to exalt him and his reign. Let us never ignore the Spirit when the purpose of our lives is to be sealed and led by the Spirit. Let us never over-spiritualize or diminish the reign of God when the purpose of our lives is to sing and to declare and to proclaim the reign of God. 
the Lord reigns. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God will judge the world in righteousness and his people in faithfulness. So as his people in the world labor for its flourishing, labor for its flourishing, but let it always be evident that your primary allegiance and the only real hope for the world is the reign of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Almighty and loving God, we bless you for the gift of your word and the truth it proclaims and the guidance it affords. We pray now for the grace to believe what we have heard and to live in ways that honor you above all. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.